on another planet far from Earth is a being called Rage. A castaway from another planet, he's now here. Half bear, half man. He escaped apocalyptic war on his home planet. He reluctantly fled, desperate for resources and reinforcements. However, the Jackals had other plans. They followed Rage through a wormhole and now want to rule over Earth as well. Go now to IndiePlanet.com or click the link in the podcast description for issues 1 to 3. For the complete story, and now, new off the press, special issue Rage number 4. All shall beware of Rage. daytime edition of the Ham Palace. I don't like doing daytime editions because that's exactly why. Because you got background noise of people doing non-stop maintenance uh, during the summer especially. Uh, yeah, so here we are. Wanted to get another podcast in. We're about halfway through September, the year of our Lord, 2023. And I just saw last night the haunting in, Ven- in Venice. Uh, let me make sure that's the correct name of this movie. Uh, a haunting. Haunting in Venice, yes. Um, featuring and uh, starring and directed by the great Kenneth Branagh. And uh, he plays Hercule. Perot, and a French detective, and uh, watched it last night. I wanted to kind of get out of the house, get out of the studio, and go see a movie at night, and it was, it was, it was good. It was a good movie. Um, I've never read the book, I don't think I've read any of her books, unfortunately. But I, I need to start reading their books. They're great who who done it films, or who done it stories. I mean, and uh, Kenneth Branagh's fine. He's he's a capable director. He's good. Um, is he a, a great director at this point? Ah, I you know, he's he's. I think he's still kind of finding his way a little bit stylistically. But uh, he's he's good. He's decent. You know, I, he'll he'll do a movie. He'll make a movie. You know. I like Thor. I like. I thought it was good. Everyone kind of harps on it, but I thought it was. I, I thought it was a good, good movie overall. Uh, a bit, a bit better than average. Um, and yeah, I was uh, thinking about uh, all the movies that he's done, and some of the ones that he's that stand out was uh, have been uh, two of them. One was Henry V. 
uh, which I watched in college as a part of my uh, one of my classes, the literary literary dimensions of film, and uh, it's just a nice sol solid uh, good uh, Shakespeare war kind of film. Um, talks you know kind of goes into diplomacy or the lack thereof, <laughs> and um, just uh, Brian Blessed was in that. It's pretty great. It had a good a great cast. Great Shakespearean, Shakespearean cast, and uh, again, uh, Ken Branagh is firing on all cylinders when he's doing Shakespeare. Um, and he can tell the man he loves it. He really embellishes it. He really understands it uh, to the fullest. And definitely, you get that with uh, Hamlet. His, I think it was close to almost four hours that one. And I remember Mel Gibson's Hamlet coming out prior to that and I liked it it, it was a, I think it it's a good that one was short shorter and sweet but if you want the grand no holds barred like we're going all out high production value version of Hamlet well that's Ken Branagh's version that that was pretty great and um, yeah so he's really good when he's doing that I think he kind of did his thing for a while there I mean there's there's always more Shakespeare adaptions he could do, but I think he covered the big ones. Um, one of the one one of the films, uh, you know, I, I liked I, this series. I liked. I watched uh, uh, the last one, uh, uh, Death on the Nile, and I thought that was that was pretty good. I liked. That. I enjoyed that one. Um, it was good. It looked great. Uh, some great shots on the, on the ship. And everyone was, it was good. It was a good kind of twist uh, ending there. And um, yeah, uh, the first one, you know, I still haven't seen Murder on the Orient Express. I've seen parts of the other movies, um, but I'm going to have to go back and watch that. Uh, so basically in this one, they're all, they're in Venice, obviously, and they're, in a an old house like a kind of like a mansion kind of house and there's been some things going on there, there's a death uh someone gets uh you know thrown overboard there's a, a previous to that there was a, somebody died like a uh, a young like a a teenager died and she was thrown over uh, out of the window and it's, it seemed to be like a suicide and um, so it was kind of like a whodunit. Um, and somebody dies while they're there. there there's a seance, a seancer played by uh, Michelle Yeoh. And, uh, and she is kind of, she shows up and, uh, you know, he's, Hercule is not convinced that uh, she's real. And um, I'm going to go into some spoilers. I don't think I'll keep go into all the spoilers so some spoilers here but she uh you know they're trying to communicate with the, with the uh, the teenager that died the daughter of um uh rowena drake i believe played by kelly riley and they she says that she contacts her and uh there's some trickery going on that makes it look like there's not 
you know it's all like she's communicating them through a type with them through a typewriter but it's actually a you know hercule discovers it's actually a remote uh that he had somebody has in the, in the fireplace that's causing the typewriter to move and all that and he goes over and discovers the guy hiding in the fireplace but um it's good it's i'm, I'm gonna go over the broad strokes here um there's there's a lot of talking in it. There's a lot of uh, dialogue, heavy scenes, and I don't know if it was because I was just tired yesterday or what, but I I found my I did find myself, uh, you know, going to sleep a little bit <laughs> some of the dialogue. So again, that might just be me. Um, you have to kind of be in the mood for these kind of movies where it's just it's gonna be drama and uh, suspense and uh, there's some jump scares in here. For sure, uh, but uh, I kind of wish that was more. I mean, there's some good stuff that was being done with these uh, puppets, these shadow puppets in the movie to tell. There, you know, I guess that's what the kids had back then. It takes place in the late 40s. Some like a projector and like uh, people using puppets to create silhouettes. I kind of wish they he messed around with that more. That concept is pretty neat, just to build atmosphere. Because I think there's a there's again jump scares. Uh, it's hard to get away from the jump scares. I get it, but it's like if you could add something more, another element that could scare people, maybe a. And uh, I, I think that's a lot built with imagination. The things you don't see, you know. You look at Halloween. You know, um, a lot of that's implied stuff. It's just building suspense. And there's some built there's there's a little bit of building suspense, but it's it's it is hard to get away from the jump scares, and this this is no exception. Um, there's a cool little white bird flying around in it, and uh, anytime something kind of like ghost-like happens, uh, you see this white bird flying around. It's, it's, it's just neat. Um, but I kind of I it, I think it needed a little something more for the the second act to kind of keep you awake. And the second act of movies is always the toughest. Um, but I, what that is, I don't quite know. Um, needed an, an X factor there. But overall, if you go to the movie, you, you, you'll have a decent time. You'll, you get pretty much what you expect. And uh, if you're in the mood for, for that, you'll, you'll, you won't be disappointed. Um, good ending good beginning uh there's a really nice crane shot or not crane shot but i would say uh drone shot at the end over venice which is nice and um what so you know uh but most of the movie takes place inside so you don't uh to get too you get some nice shots of venice but not too many um but all the actors you know they showed up they punched in they did their job uh, and you know, Michelle Yeoh, you know, she does her thing. You know, it's nice to see her getting some regular work that's not anything to do with martial arts, so it's good. I think she's capable. She's, you know, um, she's got a really crazy freak-out scene in the, in the movie when she's, you know, apparently being possessed um, by the ghost. And uh, it's kind of gross little... Ugh, her, her eye lid comes down. It's kind of nasty. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Hercule, again, 
What stands out the most is her, uh, Branagh's performance of Her- Hercule. Solid. Um, again, that's that Shakespearean background coming out. Once you do Shakespeare, kids, I think that's just like everything else is much easier. <laughs> because I think you could just equate everything to whatever you learn on, on stage and, and learning those lines of heavy dialogue and with... Uh, you know things meanings you have to kind of search for a little bit and uh yeah uh very good very good um so i i'm interested in seeing where that character goes and if they're going to continue with the series because the last one was really good this one's good i don't think i liked it as much as the last one but still good um worth going to see i'd say definitely a worthy matinee definitely a midweek movie um, I wouldn't say, oh my gosh, you got to rush out to go see this movie. So I'll give this movie, um, just on that fact alone, I'll give it, uh, I'll give it a 7.5. I think it needs a little bit extra something to make it really pretty, pretty dang good. It's, it's close to an eight, you know, I'd say, you know, 7.5. It's again, it's Kenneth Branagh's performance is solid, but it's just, I think the mid act, the middle gets a little, Maybe he needed to chop it, something. Something else needed to happen visually to keep me awake there. Uh, so, again, not bad. Uh, not the worst movie. If you're looking for something to do, go check it out. If you, you know, But, again, don't, don't don't feel the need that you need to run out to go see it. You know, it's, um, Or you're going to miss something huge. I mean, you catch this on video, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's just... It's nice. It's always nice things, you know, with Venice, seeing Venice on the big screen is cool. You know, some beautiful, beautiful city. Um, what else do I got for you? So there's my review of Haunting in Venice. Um, I'll have to see the Murder on the Orient Express. It's probably the best one of the bunch so far. Uh, but I can't really tell you that for sure unless I watch it myself which I probably watch it on my Roku with commercials, unfortunately. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, I did watch, and I, I didn't get a chance because my review of Sound of Freedom got cut off. So I'll give you my my two cents in the Sound of Freedom. Um, very good movie. Masterfully done. Uh, not much fat at all. Uh, really kind of found its its pacing and it's suspenseful it builds uh the beginnings really freaky with the kids are going to an audition and the audition and this takes place in near mexico i think which is funny it's in calexico which i, I used to i, I live or el centro like real close to that area for a while um <laughs> and so it was kind of interesting uh yeah uh it is a tough one to watch because it's like you know what's going to happen to the poor kids that are being sold into basically uh, the slave trade there. And uh, it's pretty despicable. And, you know, the thing is, like, I could not eat anything watching this movie. There's people eating popcorn. and This is not a popcorn movie. This is a movie that you watch when you want to understand <laughs> a bad thing that's happening. Uh, and, uh, yeah. It's it's good. Jim Caviezel is excellent. He's top notch. Uh, he plays this uh, undercover cop that has to deal with uh, 
all sorts of bad guys uh, <laughs> doing bad things uh, to to uh, to the kids, and it sucks. And uh, and the effects that that has to has on him is is sad. It's very sad. And um, and it just I think it works on that level. It's like imagine ha- imagine having that kind of a job. And the uh, the effects that would have on your psyche, it's like I think being a cop in general, how that affects your psyche is tough. I think that's why a lot of them are under stress and uh, are overstressed. I mean, and uh, uh, yeah, and probably some of them just uh, yeah <laughs> need to get evaluated, unfortunately, you know, and that's probably just a regular part of the job. Because you're dealing with some of the worst elements in uh, human behavior. Um, but what else? There, there. You know, he follows. He, he ends up getting the lead. He, he, you know, gets this guy helps him. You know, that has kind of a bad path, like a criminal past, and he helps helps him out. And he helps Jim Caviezel find the guy that is after the. Uh, son and daughter of this dad that he meets and he's got a family himself so he's putting himself in the shoes of the dad and uh, they find the kid the son at least they find him and then uh, they, the majority of the movie is him going into the jungle like the Columbia jungle or whatever deep into drug country and to, to find the one that, that, that has uh, captured the daughter and he, you know, spoilers here. Um, he finds him eventually, and there's a there's a good scene where it's like, well, uh, he's coming back to you know, to the daughter there, and he's Jim Caviezel's under the bed, and so he he was just gonna kidnap her, but now that the guy showed up, it's like ah yeah, he's like I can't allow this to happen. So he could stands up and he they get in a big tussle, and he ends up I believe killing the guy. And he, he comes back down the river, and uh, get, after getting shot at by his crew, and he, he makes it back with the daughter intact. And uh, it's simple, it's simple, but there's a lot of different things going on emotionally. And uh, he comes back and he delivers the kid to the father, and it's a, it's a happy ending, but a bittersweet happy happy ending because like there's you know how many other kids have been taken uh, on. You know, and they're on the board. So basically, there's a big scene. That, the scenes that stand out are the kids being on a on a uh, like a like a, one of those ships with the big crates on a big metal crate shipments, like they're being like uh, like they're being shipped over like um, in those things, and it's disgusting, you know, and it's um, inhuman, and it's like they're being treated like actual product, you know, and uh, it's it's pretty messed up, and uh, yeah, it's a good movie, <laughs> and we probably everyone should should watch it. it it's important, and uh, yeah, great job. Uh, the director did a great job, and uh, and Jim Caviezel there. So again, it's it's one of those you watch it once. <laughs> it's not one of those that you watch again and again. It's like I I got it. It's you know. It, it is. It's a good movie, and there's good suspense, and 
it's it's a good story and um, needed to be told and good on them for doing it. That's Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom, I'm going to give that a 9 out of 10. Um, it definitely succeeds in what it's trying to do and shed light on a subject. Why not 10? I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe... I don't know. It, it needed, again, like Hunting in Venice, needed something a little bit extra to push it to the 10. I don't know what that is, but I think 9 is pretty darn good. 9 out of 10. Most movies, like I said, on my scale, most really good movies are 9 out of 10s. Like, it, there's very few that are 10 out of 10s. You know, it's like pretty much flawless. There's nothing you really do to change. That I think I would enjoy it better. And most of the time it comes down to personal taste. Like, ah, I would do that. I would do that. Uh, I would do this. Uh, I would shorten it a little bit more. Uh, you know, think about uh, Citizen Kane. You know, that's pretty dang... I'd say that's pretty dang close to a 10 out of 10 movie. You know, I mean, technically, in what it's about. Um, you know, but it's like, ah, even that, I'd be like, I, I don't know, I would have trimmed it a little bit. <laughs> I would have trimmed it a little bit, but it's still every scene is pretty means something, and it's well done, and it it kind of transcends itself, and it, it that's a rare thing. Uh, I'd say Rocky One is like a ten out of ten. It's like very little wasted. Everything it's very, I mean, it's not as much action as maybe the other ones, but it, it, storytelling is more potent, you know. And it's very little. I can find much wrong with that one. Um, Back to the Future. 10 out of 10 movie for its genre. Definitely. Um, not much I could change there. Everything pretty much had a vision. It's purposeful. Had an impact. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Lethal Weapon 1. 10 out of 10. You know. Die Hard. 10 out of 10. Not really much I could change about that movie. That I, I would make. That would I would enjoy it more. It's pretty much it's great as it is. Um, so there you go. There's to get a two for one review uh, today. Uh, let's see what else here. I'll just go on. I in comics I've been reading The Hunt for Wolverine, and I'm about halfway through it. And so far, so good. There's a Daredevil uh, story where they're kind of looking for him a bit. Um, but again, it kind of like, it's too much talking. <laughs> There's a lot of dialogue. Like it's Daredevil and who else? Uh, this lady's got a mechanical arm. And this guy that was part of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something. And he's got like uh, these things with his eyes. Like he can do things with his eyes and he can fly or something I, I forgot they got this guy he wears a suit and, and shades and um, it's okay they're looking for Wolverine they're talking and they get into a few they do they they uh, run into Albert which is Wolverine's uh, Android version like a clone Android of him so I thought that was cool there's a fun little fight there and seeing him again which is always fun I love the Wolverine like I've had a podcast I need to do a part two the Wolverine uh, mythos, like from his his comic solo comic run, like I like his rogues gallery. Um, I like I like his own individual world in the comics. I think that's fun stuff. Um, 
I like when he goes to Madripoor and all that. All the patch stuff's great. Anything written by Larry Hama is great. Um, and what else? So I'm, I'm about halfway through. Halfway through. It, and it goes to different comics at the time. Uh, again, this is already like a few, about four or five years ago. Um, and the branching, like the, like different um, temporary titles that they did there. And uh, so, so far, it's okay. It's not bad. It's not too great. There's a few, like there's a scene with a uh, flashback with Iron Man uh, talking with Wolverine and how Wolverine, if anything happens to him, he doesn't want his DNA, you know, shared or something like that. And Mr. Sinister has his DNA and uh, cloned so they can always rebuild like a Wolverine or something. And uh, Tony Stark, he's tempted to keep the DNA, but he ends up destroying Mr. Sinister's uh, DNA records on him. And uh, and so, yeah, it, that's about where I'm at there and, and talking about that. Um, although I, there's a cringy line that they have Wolverine say in this where he's talking to Tony. And he tells Tony that he should be better. <laughs> it's like, unfortunately, the be better line has become kind of cringy. You know, the be better because of the whole thing with the the uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where he's kind of really going off on everybody, telling them to be less racist and uh, be better. Um, not that that's a bad thing. It's just kind of ah, uh, it's just really in your face. <laughs> it seems to be the line. You know, not you know, not that there's necessarily a wrong thing, but it's just like I I think we're driving that into the ground a little bit. But, uh, other than that, it's okay. Um, Hopefully it'll get a little bit better when they actually get to the more juicier parts of the story. This is all. This all takes place after Wolverine dies, um, which he died about whew, about eight years ago already now. And uh, basically, he got encased in a uh, in a bunch of uh, adamantium and saving. I think he was trying to save some a bunch of kids or something. And um, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was good. It was just a bit sad because, well, we had no. I can't say we didn't have any Wolverine. They brought back uh, Old Man Logan into the regular Marvel universe, the the mainstream, the regular one. So I'm part of me. I, I want to see where this goes. Where what happens to the Old Man Logan? Does he stay in the Marvel universe, or does he go back to his old his own time, his own universe? Does he meet the current Wolverine? That's supposedly his. He's escaped from the adamantium shell somehow, and what? How do they rectify that? I think that's going to be interesting. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, so that's comic business. Um, as far as my comic, I'm making. I'm doing making good progress. Doing a page a day uh, on my, on Rage number four point five, and uh, so I'm keeping it steady. Going to work on. I'm thinking about six pages in. I'm going to do some blue uh, pencil, non-photo blue pencil. If the non-photo blue pencil is basically doing a, a layout and, and blue pencil of what you want in each panel. And it supposedly doesn't show up when you go to copy it and draw over it. And it's all in the background, so you don't have a bunch of sketchy lines that you got to erase. But I have found when I do take it to the copy Kinko's or something, they do show up a little bit, so even then I have to adjust the 
the contrast in Photoshop ink to get those blue lines out. So it doesn't work perfectly, but it's it's a method. It's a method. Um, so that's going pretty steady. Again, one one page a week for now. That's my rate, and uh, I'll try to get that up to two pages a week. Um, it's amazing. You know, when you're when you're working a regular job, and you're you're trying to make comics, it's really hard because the energy and focus that it takes, and how fast you have to go. I mean, if I was doing it for real and getting paid for real, it would be a page a day at least and so I would have 30 pages in 30 days um, but unfortunately you know with everything you have to do in life with errands that you have to do on top of a job um, you know you gotta maintain yourself you know you gotta actually have a life too and go out and socialize do stuff and uh, you know as a writer you do have to live a life you do have to I think if you're a writer, you have to be, you have to go outside your comfort zone constantly because you just become stale. And I think good writers have to experience that. And we we have to struggle with something. I'm not saying that you should go out and get yourself addicted to something and try it over because some things will kill you. but uh, <laughs> Or some things will mess you up. Uh, so overcoming struggle... It will help your writing because if you're an indie guy if you're an indie guy it basically boils down to your it boils down to your uh, writing and your ability to write stories and with comics basically you're a short story writer and that's in a lot of ways that's that's harder than being a long like a novel writer as far as you have to tell a potent story in less pages but when you're a novel writer it's just it's a long it's a long uh, struggle where it's like yeah you can you can take you can flesh things out a lot more but it's going to take you forever to finish <laughs> with a schedule where you're working all the time just to pay the bills um, so it is a very real struggle as an indie as an indie artist but it does come down to the writing because the art is good but you want good art that's aesthetically pleasing, but the thing is, if, you, if the writing's not that good or the story doesn't really stand out or go anywhere, or the characters, the characterizations aren't really there, it's it kind of falls flat. And you know, that's the the more I write and and try to improve as a writer, that's what I'm finding out. It's like you have to have story first, and the art is second. Even if you have okay art. And you got a strong story, that's it's still good. It's still really good. Now if you've got bad art, yeah, it's gonna be distracting. But I think the story could still even stand with the bad art. Um, because bad art you can kinda of say, well, it's it's still kind of uh, subjective. You know, you can still some people say, Well, it's just that style, you know, and kinda of go with but again, the story will stand on its own. So really, everything basically comes down to how good of a storyteller are you? Can you understand the hero's journey? And can you effectively do it in X amount of pages? And uh, that's something I've definitely been working on and learning. And it's, it's, I'd say it's a lifelong thing, but I think when you get the template down, uh, 
it's good. You get that. Uh, I recommend anything by Joseph Campbell. Um, Hero with the Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, the Power of Myth. Um, read uh, old school um, books in the genre. I, I really should start to read more fan, uh, sci-fi. Uh, Isaac Asimov, but there's definitely some. Uh, I've been reading a lot of great uh, King Arthur stories, um, uh, and by different authors, and just you know, I, of course, any, any literature is all good, but um, you can't go wrong with old school literature, any Charles Dickens kind of stuff. But I would say any stuff, any of the classics in the genre. And that goes for comics too. Um, any of the com classic, like you know, if I want to watch, uh, read, uh, maybe Alan Moore's uh, Swamp Thing. You know, I should go back and read that, which is in my queue list. And uh, look at the stuff that you're inspired by. That's the best of, and go read that. Um, so yeah, uh, right now I'm reading uh, Elric the first time the first book by Michael Moorcock and what else am I reading um, uh, Insomnia by Stephen King which I don't think is his best but <laughs> it's a super long book and it takes him 10 hours for the story to really get moving uh, but what else um, Yeah, I got plenty of Conan downloaded uh, on my phone on, through the uh, Audible app. And I've read a, plenty of Conan, but I love reading the Conan books in my hand, though, too. And Rage is very much inspired by Conan. Um, and he's got inspirations of a little bit of Wolverine in there. Um, and But he does, his he does, you know, have a sci-fi background. So he does, he, you know... He is a bit of an engineer, and he can build things, and so, and and part of his story has to do with you know traveling in space. So I should kind of go back and read like the Robert Heinlein's, um, the Isaac Asimov's, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, another great author is uh, Ray Bradbury. I got some of his stuff on my phone. And he's he's written some sci-fi stuff, but um, he's always just a, a great general author to listen to um, about almost any genre. Uh, but def definitely the fantastical genre, uh, supernatural genre, um, slice of life genre. Bit you know he always he's very poetic about things in his own life that he's sentimental about, and he'll inject them into whatever genre he's writing and uh, it's pretty awesome and uh, he's missed I had a chance to meet him when I was in California it stinks I, I couldn't I couldn't get the I couldn't get either get the day off or I, I could get the, the money do it or I just it fell through the schedule somehow and it's like that's that's a shame that would have been great to, to meet him uh, but uh, so I'll go into I'm going to wrap this up soon because I want to keep it short. Um, I'll go into... There's been a little... little uh, some comments made by Alan Moore and, you know, 
about Frank Miller's work and you know he basically says you know I don't want the royalties you know um, anymore I'm sick of DC screwing with my work which is understandable I get it but then he says oh just ship the royalties to Black Lives Matter now I believe this is just my opinion I believe Black, My Black Lives Matter might be a corrupted group it might not be it might be corrupted. So if he sends his money to Black Lives Matter, I don't know if it's going to go where it's supposed to go. <laughs> okay? So good luck with that, Alan. I hope it goes to the people it needs to help. But uh, anyway, that's again, that's just my opinion. Um, Alan Moore uh, said some words about Frank Miller's work calling Batman, again, uh, with, the, with the fascist s stuff. And I don't... I, I, I definitely respect Alan Moore, but I don't think artists should talk bad about other artists if you can help it. Is that could definitely be helped because I think we're all, unless the artist is really says some things that you really object with on a fundamental level, or you feel is clearly wrong. But other than that, I think we should all just kind of help each other because artists are a kind of a. Uh, I would say marginalized is kind of a word. Uh, but we are kind of, maybe that's too heavy a word, but it, it just, we're all kind of brushed aside. And they we don't get, most of the time, we don't get paid for our stuff. You know, when we put it out there, I mean, we're not, you know, I put my comics, comic books out there, but, uh, you know, if I get paid, that's, that's great. People, you know, buy my work, that's fantastic. Is it consistent enough? Is it enough to pay bills? Not really. I could pay maybe one bill with it for one month. That'd be cool. That's cool. But it's like, it's just, it, we, it, that side of the brain, the creative start does not get rewarded, um, except by maybe the top three, the creme of the creme artists out there. And they get huge amounts of money, right? But a lot of us really don't and it's a society that is really screwing us over there um, because it's rewarding all the other sides, other, other parts of, like, uh, if you're a doctor and lawyer, and, like, yeah, those things are important. Uh, but it's like, you know, people were born to do art. And, you know, when that's shoved to the side, and we're just people get ripped off all the time by people that are the money men, you know, screw that. You know, that is unfair. And that's unjust. So, again, that's I mean, that's one of the reasons why I, I, I do. I watch a lot of uh, QLA stuff uh, with Dan Pena because it's kind of like a, a great hard-knuckled business course that we all kind of need. And now what he's selling is definitely different than what I'm doing. Or he, Basically, you know, it has to do with buying businesses, but... A lot of his fundamental concepts are just to kind of, you know, stand up for yourself and and uh, be be a negotiator, be a hardcore negotiator about your work and about what you're worth. And uh, there's some good things to take away from from his stuff. Um, he's a lot of controversial things because he's 
and then some cringy things like as far as like uh he's he's very old school but he says some things that are just like even for me it's like i don't know if you shouldn't have said that <laughs> but he's got the right to say him you know it's free country you know um but yeah so that those are my thoughts i i don't think I think it's bad taste for Alan Moore to kind of come out and say things about Frank. You know, um, I don't know why now he's deciding to say all this stuff. I think he said stuff in the past, but, you know, I respect Alan Moore as a storyteller for sure. But uh, it's like, look, Frank's come a long way too, and he's talented. Um, is this stuff perfect? No, but, <laughs> you know, Frank's doing okay, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, anyway, um, I think I'm going to wrap it up and, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, hope you hung in there through the comic stuff. If you're not interested in comics, well, I'm sorry. Uh, the guy, the people that are listening that like comics, well, this, this one was for you a little bit. That's good. I need to bring comic books back into the discussion. And, uh, may you all have long days. And pleasant nights. Yeah.